Why settle for just living a good life? When you can live a life optimized to achieve your human potential, learn all the hacks that will transform your life from average to extraordinary. Welcome to Life Optimized with functional medicine expert, Dr. Neil Palvin. Hello, I'm Dr. Neil Palvin, and welcome to another new episode of the Life Optimized podcast, where we talk about how to optimize life, sports, and health. And today, we're going to do a whole episode on the new insights, advances, and biohacking elements to help improve brain health. We're going to spend most of today on newer insights into Alzheimer's disease, as there are now 50 million people with Alzheimer's and looking for some more permanent treatments, as there are some that are potentially coming down the pike, but nothing that has provided a curative property yet. So we're going to talk about a couple of things, including some new medicines, supplements, with some, inter- some new thoughts in terms of what may be causing and how to improve it. And then we're going to spin off of that and talk a little bit more about about some newer, again, newer supplements and newer technology that may help patients either deal with some type of brain issue in terms of cognitive impairment or concussion, or just if you want to get that brain optimized and perform better at work or in sports, and we'll finish up with that. So let's first get into what's new with Alzheimer's and how the approach has changed even over the last year to 18 months and how we can work to healthfully treat it. So we're going to do a very brief summary here in terms of what causes Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is caused by several different factors. It's caused by neuroinflammation which is inflammation in the brain. It's caused by what are called tangles, which can lead to memory impairment. It is potentially caused by damage to the blood-brain barrier, which is a very thin layer of cells that protect the, the brain from the rest of the body. We're going to get into that in a couple minutes. It also could be caused by damage to the microglia. Microglia are the scavengers of the brain. They help the body clear toxins as well as get rid of infections. There's also a link between Alzheimer's and potentially lack of sleep and lack of exercise. So there's numerous different reasons why people think there's Alzheimer's, many more that we uh, that the list goes on and on and on. It's not, we're not looking just to give patients improve the acetylcholine. We're not looking just to deal with the tangles anymore because those medicines and treatments have not worked adequately enough. They have, there are patients who are still suffering with family members who have Alzheimer's. So the approach is morphed into a much global picture, which is really the way it should be. And we, again, the medicines aren't working. And we know if you just treat specifically the tangles, you specifically treat the inflammation the symptoms may not improve. There's different causes and you got to kind of treat it as a whole package uh, rather than just treating one specific cause of of Alzheimer's. So that's what we're going to kind of go into today, what's kind of new in terms of the thought process and how to approach it and how to treat it. So just really quickly, we get asked all the time, what symptoms should I be looking for in myself or a family member if I have Alzheimer's? And here's a brief list. Obviously, it's co- it's having memory loss, usually short-term versus long-term, not looking at things from their high school days. They just can't remember what happened last week. They are not able to do sometimes simple or complicated tasks. They may get lost, places that they're very familiar with. They may become more aggravated. It's also an issue where we they find that patients who earlier started to lose sense of smell, that may be a sign of early Alzheimer's. That's not been that's been postulated and proven in some studies. There may be some mood disorders, anxiety or depression associated with Alzheimer's. And those are the symptoms that you're looking for. In most cases, it's a slowly progressing issue. It's not something 
where one day you're perfectly normal and the next day you can't remember anything. It's something that slowly but slowly stepwise worsens. So that's, that's the way to, one way we differentiate that from other issues in terms of memory loss from infection or other type of uh, metabolic diseases. So let's go into what we now know that we didn't know even maybe a year ago. There are several issues in terms of how the cell works and cell in the way that the, the, the neurons work with the cells in the brain, and we can now specifically target those things, or we can target those better than we could. We know now that know there's a link between the brain and Alzheimer's and gut health, and now we're potentially working on treating it. We know there's a connection between the gut and the brain. We've known this for a while. It goes through the lymphatic system, which is our drainage system. It also goes through what's called the vagus nerve, which is one of the nerves that start in the brain. What can happen is damage can happen in, on both ends from the connection from the gut to the brain. If the gut microbiome, which is the bacteria in the gut, is abnormal, that can lead to the lack of certain bacteria in the gut that the body needs for normal brain function, which will lead to inflammation, which will spread through one of the, the means that I just spread, either the vagus nerve or the lymphatic system, and then initially will cause damage to that blood-brain barrier, which I talked about, which is that thin layer of cells, and then also may go through into the brain itself and cause inflammation, it can produce inflammatory chemicals, inflammatory cause activation of inflammatory cells. I brought up microglia initially. All those different things happen just from damage in the gut. Again, this could be from infection, anything from H. pylori to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth to parasites to stress-induced issues. If nothing else fails, it's the gut's always involved in some way, shape, or form. We know there's now been shown to be a lack of for uh, two uh, bacteria in the gut called Firmicutes and Bacteroides. Patients who have memory issues, most Alzheimer's, will have a lower levels of Firmicutes and, and Bacteroides. They also may have lower levels of another bacteria that's gotten a lot more publicity recently called Acromantia. So the, that we know, so again, damage to the gut will potentially lead to Alzheimer's. We know there's also a relationship where if there's been damage to that blood-brain barrier from a concussion, from toxins from a headache from some other type of inflammation localized to the brain that will make the have the, the toxins from the gut have easier access to the brain so you want to manage both the gut microbiome that and which is probiotics resistant starch appropriate probiotics a prebiotic, which is the food that feeds the bacteria, butyrate, which is a postbiotic, and making sure that you also have the appropriate amount of small chain fatty acids, propionic acid. And these are things that you can determine, and I more and more encourage everybody to get some type of stool test done, I'm either GI map or Genova. They're not 100% accurate, but they are the best when some of the best data collection that we have in terms of that. There are one or two tests out there to evaluate the blood-brain barrier at this point. Um, the most common is the one from Cyrex. Um, I do recommend that's not something mandatory at this point, but something to definitely think about. We can help improve that blood-brain barrier doing uh, things like plasmologens, which is the main company's prodrome. You can do other things like apigenin alpha-lipoic acid, potentially quercetin and curcumin, potentially in higher doses, all may help protect that blood-brain barrier. So that's number one, one of the newer insights that we've gotten over the last several months in terms of newer approaches to help patients with Alzheimer's. And the second part has been in terms of the potential success in using red light therapy to help patients with Alzheimer's. And we've seen it also in Parkinson's and other neurodegenerative conditions. Uh, several companies now have done 
have smaller studies showing that because of the way that red light, especially intranasal, which is placing little clips on the nose and help the help the red light at certain frequencies, especially in the 800 range, penetrate into the sinuses, into the brain, have helped not only deal, decrease the inflammation associated with Alzheimer's, it also targets the mitochondria. And I every again, almost, almost every study I do has, again, mitochondria and gut. Mitochondria, for those who don't know, are the energy part of your cell. So the we know that the mitochondria are dysfunctional. It could be dysfunctional because of mutations. It could be dysfunctional because of lack of ATP production. It could be dysfunctional because decreased mitophagy, which is the recycling of the mitochondria. It could be all those different things. So what the red light therapy can do, it's even amplified using something in conjunction with it, it amplifies the mitochondria, which will help patients with Alzheimer's. This is gonna be a treatment that is by itself not gonna be a game changer, but is something that could be a nice additive component in addition to doing some of the potential medications that are coming down very soon, some that target the tangle, some that are more antibodies and other things that are coming out in conjunction with dealing with the gut and, and dealing with a couple of the other things that we're going to talk about here in a second. So we talked about red light therapy. We talked about mitochondria. I mentioned mitophagy really briefly, and that is another area that's being really targeted using medicines like quercin or, or urolysin A, which again comes from ellagic acid in the gut. Again, another relationship between the gut, the brain, and Alzheimer's. The gut is more and more important. So we target those areas. Another area which is very important and now has gotten more and more publicity because of certain medications that are out there. And we're talking about insulin, insulin resistance, and now the correlation between th those issues and Alzheimer's and medicines like Ozempic and Monjuro and Wagovi, which are called GLP-1 antagonists. What they are able to do is help the body maintain appropriate levels of insulin, they are allow, able enable us to decrease insulin resistance, and they also allow the body to decrease the inflammation in the brain associated with Alzheimer's. They think it also may help limit toxic end products, and it may, in theory, help repair the damaged blood-brain barrier. People mostly know those medicines, Ozempic and Mongerno and Wagovi, as medicines for weight loss, but now there, there's more, some more and more data that keeps coming in that it actually may be beneficial in terms of just helping make people maintain healthy brains because of what it does and also may help patients with Alzheimer's. We know that there's a potential link between high sugars and Alzheimer's. We know there's a potential link between what are called advanced glycation end products and Alzheimer's. These medications are some of the strongest medications and maintaining blood sugars, maintaining proper insulin, re insulin response. So it's something that we're going to pay more and more attention to um, again, we are aware of some of the side of potential side effects of using these types of medications. Do we use a smaller dose? Do we do it less frequently? Do we do it for a certain period of time? These things aren't known yet, uh, but this is something that potentially has really huge future potential for both people trying to optimize brain health, as well as looking to do to do more in terms of helping to treat Alzheimer's disease. And what also we know is that these medications are linked to potentially helping to improve the quality of your microbiome, the bacteria in your gut. So it everything we talk about today, we're, a lot of things that we're going to talk about today are linked to either the health of the gut, 
linked to mitochondria and linked to inflammation. Again, these are themes that now we're seeing in a lot of disease. We're seeing it with polycystic ovarian syndrome. We're seeing it in obesity. We're seeing it in patients with chronic fatigue syndrome. We're seeing it in patients with diabetes. So there seems to be overall flow pattern here of how, like I mentioned in the beginning, it's not just about treating the tangles or just about treating the inflammation. It's about treating the whole package to make sure that we can hopefully improve brain health in general and then help patients improve Alzheimer's specifically and help these patients have a better quality of life. Two other things that we're looking at in terms of helping patients with Alzheimer's, and then we're going to go broader in terms of how to help patients in general with brain health. Number one would be kind of esoteric. We're looking at, at little small areas of DNA called micro DNA and micro RNA that are linked to specific genes and specific functions. And there are specific micro RNA and DNA that are linked to potentially blocking enzymes and genes in the body that help with inflammation in the help limit the inflammation in the brain and we may be able to specifically target these microRNA and DNA to help limit the case of Alzheimer's. It's something that's a little more futuristic, something that's not here day, today, but something that hopefully will come in the future. The last thing in terms of Alzheimer's that we now know, it's something that I've iterated in other podcasts and so on, is the link between lack of exercise and dementia. We know that the most curative thing right now for Alzheimer's is exercise. There's nothing that has been shown to be better than exercise resistance, weight-bearing exercise multiple times a week. That There's nothing that compares to it. Hopefully, some of the things I mentioned in the past surpass it. But right now, that is that is the most important thing that no matter what else we're doing for somebody who has Alzheimer's or some type of neurodegenerative issue, have them exercise. So, that the first part we're going to we said I we talking about Alzheimer's. If you have any questions, comments, general questions, please put them in the comment section. Glad to try to answer them as much as I can. Can't answer patient specific kind of questions without having them examined and so on. The second part now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about optimizing brain health. What else is out there? What else can be done? What else do we need to know about? So the first thing that's become really interesting is a peptide called SS31. SS31 um, was developed by two scientists. It works uh, on the inner membrane of the mitochondria, which it's depleted as patients get older. And we now know that there is a link between that and mitochondrial function and Alzheimer's and link between that and heart issues, a link between that damage to the mitochondrial membrane and diabetes. So what we are now used, finding is that by replacing the SS31, which is a peptide, it can be given through an injection, either some people do it twice a week, some people do it seven days a week, it can help improve neurological symptoms. So that is something that you can now get through a doctor who specializes in the peptides. It's something you definitely want to look into as part of your once or twice a year kind of reboot. Um, it could be done with things like people who do combine it, we usually combine it with like a BPC-157. They're combining it with whatever the Cinelec the that are using short term, be it Fistidin, Quercetin, whatever that happens to be. People will combine it with NAD, an immune booster like a thymulin peptide cocktail or your anti-aging cocktail. People combine it with your lysin A, spermidine, whatever it happens to be. So that is another thing to definitely look out for. Other things that are now coming out in terms of brain health is now our ability to analyze the way the brain functions individually. There are different things that you can get done. There are different tests that are now out there and available to you throughout the country and 
that you can now help assess the function. Different than an MRI, diff- the traditional MRI, different than a CAT scan. So this is what you want to be aware of. So the first test we're going to talk about is a QEEG. And typically EEG is one where they're looking for mostly for abnormal function in the brain in terms of signaling, connections. We use it a lot of times when patients are having potential seizure activity or, mo- or problems walking or things like that. So this is a little bit different. This is um, you wear, looks like a little old school um, swim cap. They put some gel to improve the conductivity of the leads. And they can assess, doing different functions, how well your brain works. Is the frontal lobe working when it, when it which does certain things like concentrate? Is that working the way it should be? Are the temp, is the temporal lobe working when it's supposed to be concentrating? Is there occipital lobe working for business things? They can assess that. They can assess the different connections. They can assess if the right side of the brain is working when it's supposed to be and the left side is working when it's supposed to be. And it can be used from just for optimizing cognition. It can be used for patients with ADHD. It may help patients with anxiety because if that brain is not working the way it should be, there could be a lack of neurotransmitters. There could be some type of relationship to concussion. There could be, unfortunately, from COVID, a lot of different things can show up on this test, and then it could be treated through neurofeedback or biofeedback, which can be done remotely, can be done throughout the world, be treated with supplements and or medication and or red light, but the main thing, core of that is going to be neurofeedback or biofeedback. If you want a full podcast on just specifically QEGs and, neuro- and bio-neurofeedback, uh, check out my session with Dr. Andrew Hill I did a couple months ago, has a full 35 minutes with one of the biggest trendsetters and leaders in that field. Something that you definitely has now grown from something that was kind of a niche situation to something that you can use on a regular, that could be done throughout the country. Second test you definitely can look into in a little, uh, something called NeuroQuant. NeuroQuant is the derivative of an MRI where it's looking at the volume of the brain. Has the brain atrophied? Is the brain atrophying from a neurodegenerative issue? Is the brain degenerate because of damage to the neurons itself? What is going on in the brain? It's something we see a lot more with toxins, heavy metals like lead, mercury, arsenic, exposure to mold. That is what we can see. And if we see certain patterns, the doctor can know to look for damage from, from those toxins. And then we can work to help treat the patient. Other, you can also get um, a spec um, with Dr. Amen. Daniel Amen is made famous or a functional MRI, which really work, again, on specifically watching certain areas of the brain, seeing how they're functioning by themselves and together to do daily tasks. And that is a lot of times much more useful in general health as well as trying to help somebody with a neurodegenerative issue. We talked about QEEG. We talked about functional functional MRI and a SPECT exam. We talked about a neuroquant, which is a little more specific for toxins. But these are tests that a couple of years ago were really hard to find and come by. And now because of a combination of the technology become a little more popular, a little more cost effective, and the advent of, of really broad telemedicine, you can get a really good understanding in terms of how your brain is working and what you can do to fix it without sometimes without very rarely having to leave your living room or your office. Something I would definitely recommend looking into. We get asked this question all the time. What are the labs I should be looking at? to help optimize my brain function. And that's what we're gonna kind of finish up with. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about about seven to 10 different labs that are gonna help your body assess brain function in conjunction with some of these other tests I already talked about. First thing you wanna be doing, like I mentioned before, is assessing your sleep, use an Oura ring or Whoop or your Eight Sleep, whatever tends to work for you. 
that is something that's going to be very helpful. Second test that we want to get done is you want to understand what your insulin levels are. I already talked about in the beginning of this podcast, insulin resistance and poor performance of insulin increases your risk of neurodegenerative issues. So it's something that you definitely want to have an idea. And honestly, if your insulin is in double digits, fasting before 9 a.m., then that's something you want to target. Other things that we're going to look at is you want to look at a CRP. It's a measure of your body's inflammation. If it's above three, it's something your doctor wants to assess. The inflammation can be from anything. I would definitely, again, recommend having your doctor assess it. Other number, we talked about insulin. We want to know what your fasting glucose is. If your fasting glucose is above 100, it's something that you want to get under control. The elevated glucose itself can cause, it can lead to the production of advanced glycation end products, which is a modified glucose, and that can lead to inflammation in the brain, fatigue, uh, potentially immune issues. Something you need to be very cognizant of. That's number three. You want to look or be checked for ticulins, so look for Lyme disease, Lyme antibodies, Lyme ehrlichosis, babesiosis, Bartonella. These are panels that your regular doctor can do initially. We know that these tests are probably about 50 to 60% accurate if done through labs like LabCorp or Quest. There are other specific labs, things like Igenics or DNA Connections. They can give a more accurate level of their test to help because those illnesses have led to neurodegenerative issues. Other ones that you want to look at in terms of help evaluating yourself for potential brain issues, you want to do... You can should do a, th- a C3A and a C4A. Some doctors may not know how to interpret this, but these, again, are signs of inflammation. These could be signs of Lyme disease. They could be signs of a severe autoimmune issue. It could be signs of exposure to mold, which can lead to neurodegenerative symptoms, things like memory loss and headaches. So it's something that is something your doctor may not do initially, but may give pretty good information in terms of what the, the next step, the next group of labs we talk about all the time, understand your, your male and female hormones. Men and women need appropriate testosterone. Women, I like above 30. Men, at least above 500 total. A lot of it'll depend on what the free testosterone is. We want to know what the sex hormone bonding globulin is. Women especially need to have an adequate number of estrogens no matter what. If you are menopausal or then talk to your doctor about doing things to potentially increase estrogen levels, the history of breast cancer, the BRCA gene, that is not something that is possible just because of the risk of, of, of breast cancer. You want to make sure that you're also looking at DHA sulfate. All these things are related to appropriate hormone function and can limit and potentially have an effect on how well the brain is functioning. And then you do want to, again, look at the gut health, get a stool test. Things that you're most important looking at are going to be, are you producing the appropriate number of small chain fatty acids? Are you producing enough? Is there a calprotectin level elevated, which you can do through a regular or like a holistic stool test, which is a level of inflammation? Other tests that we're now looking at more and more, you can do this through an organic acid test. Some labs are doing it now called a kinurin test, which again leads to more damages, the tryptophan path pathway and may lead to some alterations in in the way the brain functions. So those are other things you definitely want to look into in terms of lab work. I always get what lab work can I do to optimize my brain or it makes you figure out what's going on. You want functional tests. And again, MRI and CAT scans aren't going to really work as well. You want to make sure that you're doing, again, either SPECT or QEG are probably a really good starting point. And then you also want to get the labs done. I just mentioned there are more 
If you really want to go down the rat hop at a hole, look at labs like Cyrex. Cyrex offers certain blood tests that evaluate the blood-brain barrier, which I talked about before. You want to potentially do the lab test from Prodrome, which has specific uh, levels of plasmologins in there. So these are all things that we need to look at in terms of getting a full picture of how the brain is working. And then we can really develop a, a comprehensive plan in terms of how to help the brain. And then lastly, a couple of labs you may want to be aware of. You want to look at cortisol fasting because this is going to give us an idea how much stress is affecting you. You can do an F2 isoprostane, which is a urine test, which lets us look at oxidative stress. You're also going to want to get a full lipid panel, especially apolipoprotein B, and especially lipoprotein A, and especially small dense LDL, because cholesterol will lead to occlusion of the vessels to the brain, and that will lead to issues long term. So we went through, we started with Alzheimer's. And which is unfortunately kind of the, the end all be all right now of neurodegenerative issues. And then we kind of segue into tests that you can do and then to things that you can do to evaluate it. And the treatments are, there are numerous out there. Everybody needs to have different protocols done. I sleep, improving your lifestyle, improving the diet, fixing the gut or cores of how to help with Alzheimer's. Other things that we know work. Again, mitochondria dysfunction, work with spermidine, urolysin A, which help reduce mitophagy. We uh, Something like a MitoQ to help with mitochondrial function, an SS31 to help with the ATP chain. Some people say methane blue may help with the tangles as well. So all those are targeting the mitochondria. We want to do some of the inflammation. Inflammation can be improved with red light therapy, hyperbaric can be improved with, I mean, supplements like fish oil or peptides like BPC or thymus and beta-4 or low-dose naltrexone, which targets a lot of, it'll help the gut, it'll help the microglia, which again, are those scavenger cells that help uh, fight infection and toxins. So all those different things can help. Another quercetin, because it helps get rid of some of the senescent cells, but we don't want to do that in perpetuity. And the other part that's been shown, we want to work on what's specific on what's called the NLRP3 inflammasome, which has been so associated with Alzheimer's. That's an inflammatory pathway or compound. Exogenous ketones has been shown to work on that. There's products, especially uh, ketonade. You can use products like <clears throat> melatonin, high-dose melatonin. Again, curcumin and veritrol. All those things can help slow down that pathway. So we kind of went through the whole spectrum here. If you have any questions, feel free to put that in the comment section. I'm glad to answer them for you. And if you have anybody type of topic or guess you'd like to see on a Life Optimized podcast, please feel free to reach out either through the comment section or reach out to us on Instagram at Dr. Paulvin um, or on the YouTube channel at Dr. Paulvin. And we're glad to get the information, the topics that you would like to hear about. So stay tuned for the next episode of Life Optimized, where we help you optimize your life, health, and mind. See you soon. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a biohacker, or an athlete, if you're ready to take the next steps to optimize your life, visit drpaulvin.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-P-A-U-L-V-I-N.com.